Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the, to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up the serpent with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Let's all bow our heads in prayer, everyone. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come into your word and just discover more about your plans and purposes for our lives individually, but also as a part of this church, our Every Nation Brisbane family. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and illuminate the scriptures for us. We submit our lives to you, that we would hear directly from the throne room of heaven. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. Um, Today we're in this series called DNA. This is our second week in it, and uh, we're going to just look at Uh, just the vision and values of who we are as Every Nation Brisbane. So even if you're visiting from another church, I really believe that there's going to be benefit for you in discovering God's will for your life as we talk about it. Uh, We have specific vision and values. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Every Nation Brisbane is a part of the Every Nation family of churches. We have church family around the world in uh, over 80 nations, so that's really exciting. We're part of the Every Nation family of churches and ministries that exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. Now, here at Every Nation Brisbane, our values revolve around discipleship, on which we touched on last week, uh, worship, outreach, and family. We're going to touch on each of these, and today we're going to focus on the topic of outreach. Now, when we talk about outreach We're talking about how God has called us definitely to move beyond ourselves and reach out with the love of Christ. So we're passionate about reaching those who don't know Jesus yet with the good news of the gospel of Jesus, Uh, whether in your own backyard or out on the international mission field. I'm really thankful. How many of you are thankful uh, that we're able to travel again, like your passport got dusty? (laughs) How many of you are planning to travel overseas this year? How many of you already traveled overseas this year? Okay, a few of us. Yeah, yeah, a few of us, look at you, putting your hands up for both of them, Paul. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, I traveled already. Uh, But like, I really believe that God's calling us to be not just a church that reaches the nations by going to them, but uh, we reach the nations that are already in our city. There are so many nations uh, right here in Brisbane. We count it a privilege to take social responsibility for our campuses, for our community, our city, and our nation. So when we talk about outreach, what we're talking about here is, you know, the E word, evangelism. We're talking about carrying the gospel into our different spheres of society here in Brisbane and how we represent Jesus where we are. We talk about social responsibility, wanting to see his kingdom come in Brisbane as it is in heaven. And uh, we talk about missions as well. So we are a missional church. We uh, don't believe that God has called us to be a part of the body of Christ just to sit there and just thank him for his salvation, but his salvation power has purpose behind it. And you see this all throughout the scriptures when you look at the word of God, right? And as we study God's word, we begin to uh, you know, discover what he has and desires for us. So last week, you might remember, uh, we were talking about discipleship, and we used this passage, 2 Timothy 2, uh, and I've heard this passage so many times, shift a couple of life groups I've visited Uh, this week, and it's really good to hear that impartation. But just to remind you from last week, we talked about just this pattern of discipleship with Paul authoring this book of 2 Timothy. And this was his final letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. And so therefore he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women, 
who will be able to teach others also. We talked about the nature of God's kingdom and the currency of which it operates is always relational. That it's relational, of course, towards God. Remember the greatest commandment that we find in the Bible is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so what you're seeing here is four, um, four levels of relationship. You've got Paul himself, what you have heard from me, to Timothy, his spiritual son, what you have heard, my child, uh, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women, that's the third generation, who will be able to teach others also. So what you're seeing here is intergenerational relationships revolving around discipleship. But I would venture to say that outreach or evangelism is a natural onflowing of discipleship. And in fact, it is a part of discipleship as well. That as we reach out to people, we reach out in the context of relationship. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus, yes, he had big meetings with big crowds, but he also had his most effective time of ministry actually building his relationships closely with the disciples that he made. So I want to just venture to say this, especially in the context of Australia and Brisbane here, is that if discipleship is relationship or relational, then so is outreach. Outreach should flow out of our relationship with God and our relationship towards one another. You see, I can have a big meeting and I can call people to the front of that meeting, but it, inevitably somebody is going to have to have relationship with the people that, are, that have responded in order for them to successfully walk out in their journey with God. How many of you noticed that the times that you've struggled in your own faith journey, I know, or maybe you haven't, you've never struggled in your faith journey, eh? Maybe, maybe your, your life is so perfect, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just me just struggling with my faith journey. But in those times that you often struggle in your faith journey, how many of you have noticed that there's a correlation between that and isolation? Right? Well, that was a big yeah. <laughs> like, there is a direct correlation between being connected in relationship with your neighbor and to God that has to happen in conjunction. They're not, that's not actually two commands. That's one command wrapped up. And like your, there's a correlation between your relationship with God and other people, both the lost who don't know Jesus and the, and the church and those who are Christians. And so you'll notice that in your spiritual journey with God, if you want to advance, if you want to grow in God, you connect with God and you connect with other people. Now, shout out to all my fellow introverts in the house, because I know that can be hard sometimes, you know, but like I use my introversion to actually worship God. Yes, it's possible, because there's a vast difference between being an introvert and being selfish. Now, Pete, sometimes we can use our introversion for my, any fellow introverts in the house who just want to put your hand up like that, they want to be identified because we're introverts. Just give me a rock eyebrow, if that's you. Like, but we use it as an opportunity to worship God. Of course, you know, after expending ourselves to serve others, we, we feel like we need replenishing. And that's what Sabbath rest is for. That's what having good rest patterns is for, so that God can replenish us, so that we can pour out again. Because G we worship a Jesus who poured himself out for us, right? And so we've got to understand that discipleship and outreach are inextricably linked. They're all a part of the same process, and they're all relational. They're all relational. You know, I've, I've had a few chats with people, not in this church, but elsewhere, uh, that are Christians, followers of, of, of God, and they, 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 they suddenly begin to notice that, you know, they've been in faith for a while. They've been a, a follower of Jesus for a while, but it's like they don't want to be connected to other people to possibly mentor them. They're just like, I don't want to walk with people. I love God. It's just these Christians, man. And then at the same time, they feel lonely and isolated. And I'm trying to tell them, look, the, the answer to your loneliness is to be connected in the kingdom of God so that you can flow into relationship, introvert or extrovert, whatever, like just to be connected in relationship. It's important because that's how God has designed his church. How, how strong are your relationships. So like the great Brisbaneite theologians, the Bee Gees once sang, how deep is your love, right? And here is the rhythm of the church, guys. The rhythm of the church, when you look at the Greek word for church, it's the Greek word uh, ekklesia. Now, I'm Samoan, you know, Samoan, 
the, the, the Samoan word for church is ekales here, which comes from the Greek. I love that the Samoans just went directly to the Greek, not to the English, to discover our word. Ekklesia means the called out ones, right? We are called to go out. We're not called not just to gather. Now, the way I liken it is like, have any of you seen this toy around? You know, like there's, there's these um, stalls at the mall, right? These stalls at the mall that sell like real knockoff brands of actual toys, you know, like it says it's a Marvel toy, but it's got Batman on it, you know, like those sorts of, and then the, usually in that kind of cheap toy stall, you'll find these toys. You seen these toys, these expandable spheres? And this is the rhythm of the church. Like on a Sunday, that's why I encourage people, fight to get to church, fight to get in fellowship, not for the event, but for the connection with, in relationship, that there is a, a rhythm of gathering and scattering, gathering and scattering, like an accordion or like this toy. Can you see the joy on this boy's face? Because he's got the rhythm, right? He's like, oh, wow. Uh, it, it's, it's that rhythm. We gather together, not just on Sundays, but in your life groups. That's why I highly encourage you to get connected in a life group because you do community there. You encourage one another. Because I know that the bulk of this service, although we allow for time for discussion and connection, a lot more of that connection happens in a small group discipleship setting, like a life group, where you can feel open to share, share some of the issues that you're walking with uh, or walking in, and, and, and that's where the expansion happens. But that expansion happens because God's empowered you with his spirit to be able to carry his message out. Now, here's the thing. You see, we were talking about last words of Paul before he was martyred. Some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You all remember this? He says to his disciples uh, in verse 7, uh, it's not for you to know the times as to when I'm, uh, the authority will come. But here, here's, because you don't have the authority, but here's the thing. Okay, and he says in verse 8, but I will give you the Holy Spirit and power to have the shivers and the shakes and to just experience warm emotion and then you can go home and hopefully that emotion will carry you to the next week. That's not what he said, right? What he said was, I give you the Holy Spirit and power to what? To be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, that word for witnesses in the Greek, I know we're doing a lot of Greek. I'm hungry for Greek food, by the way, right now. If anyone's feeling led to, to yeah, shout out to my Greek people. Suvlaki would be nice. But like... um. The Greek word there for witnesses is the Greek word mater, where we actually get the word mater hospital from. Mater in the Greek is, is the root word of where we get the English word martyr, somebody who lays their life down to serve others for another purpose. And this is worship. So what, in essence, what Jesus is saying there is his final words before his ascension to his disciples, he's saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit and power to lay your lives down so that others will see in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, here's the question, right? Because we live in a very antithetical society as opposed, that opposes the message of the gospel often. What if that message is not received? Have you ever been in a situation where you've tried to share about your faith or try to just tell people about the story of how God has affected you or how Jesus and the message of the gospel has changed you, transformed you, and it hasn't been received. Is that in vain? Is your sharing of the gospel at that point in vain? And I actually believe that, you know, if we were to survey this room right now, that this may be part of the inhibition or the restriction of people wanting to share their faith because they're afraid of the results. But here's the encouragement from the scripture that we're about to read, is that it doesn't matter about the results. God takes care of the results. We have to be faithful to be his witnesses, faithful to share our faith and let God take care of the results. Even if they reject you, they reject not you, they reject Christ. And so Matthew, uh, Mark 16, the passage that Jeremy read for us this morning, now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Shout out to all my sisters in here. I want you to notice this. When Jesus chose to show himself in his resurrected form, he, he chose women. Just in case 
you know, you, you feel like, oh, woman, we don't have a message to carry. You, well, Jesus chose like, to expose himself as the, the resurrected king to a woman. And I believe that's, there's a reason for that because, my sisters, you carry a message too. Right? And he, and he shares this. From whom? He cast out seven demons. Now, how many of you know, like, if you were tormented by seven demons for most of your life, and Jesus comes and dispels those demons and sets you free, how many of you know, like, you'll remember that? That's not something you forget on Tuesday after being told about it on Sunday, right? And, 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 and it has to have been so good to you that you want to share it. Have you ever been in an environment where, like, you've heard news that's so good, but you, you're told, hey, hey, keep it a secret, and, and you're struggling to keep it a secret because you're just so excited? Maybe it's the engagement of a friend that's really close to you. And don't tell anybody. We'll, we're going to post it on, on our socials in two weeks. And you're like, two weeks? I can't hold it back. Right? And you're just like bursting to want to tell everybody. Or maybe it's not their, other people's news. Maybe it's your news. Maybe, you know, for those of you who've never experienced it, maybe, maybe you've fallen in love. Oh, Everybody goes, oh. Some of you are going, ah. Oh. <laughs> Maybe you've fallen in love, and, but, but you, don't, you don't want to share it. But, you know, in the, in the Philippines, we have this term called kilig, right? You're just so kilig. You're like, <laughs> you just want to tell everybody because you're, you're so, you're, your life feels like a, a, a slow love song. And you just, every, everywhere you walk, you can just, it's like cartoon rabbits are dancing around you. And you feel like uh, bird, cartoon birds are going to come and land on your shoulders and you'll be singing, you know, because life is so good. But, you know, you can't help but tell how much more the transformational message of the gospel, how much more when God has impacted your life, how much more can we definitely like see that, that, that transformation take place? We, we, we have to tell people. And so Mary Magdalene, this is the case, she went on and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. So she was sharing her story, and they were like, oh, that's amazing. But watch the switch. Verse 11, but when they heard he was alive and he had been seen by her, they did not believe it. So they were all like, listening to her story, yeah, I was tormented by demons. They were all like, uh, you know, like Oprah Winfrey, for those of you who remember her show, like sitting on the couch going, oh, wow, that's so sad. Yeah, and then he came and delivered me, and he's alive today, and he's here. And she's like, oh, oh. Like the switch up of, uh, of going from a place of emotional stirring to skepticism. How many of you see a correlation between that? You can be emotionally stirred in a moment like this, but if it doesn't transform your thinking, then it really hasn't happened yet, right? The belief in this message of the resurrection. And this is actually because the message here is that he is more than a martyr. He is the king of kings. Because if we treat him like somebody who died for a cause, like a Martin Luther King who was assassinated, you know, and carrying the... the carrying the baton for civil rights in the United States, but then was, was killed in, in Memphis for his cause. Of course, there's empathy towards that. But if the message does not transform you, that he's alive, he's not just alive like in my heart. He was physically alive. This is the point of skepticism here. And I can understand in a society like Australia, where, you know, scientifically it doesn't make sense. That's because it's what you call a miracle, right? And then we move on to these guys. How many of you remember these guys from the book of Matthew? After these things, they heard in another form uh, to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, and they did not believe them. These two men that walked to Emmaus. You remember this story? They were there at the resurrection, and they saw this resurrection. Uh, they saw the, uh, they were there at the crucifixion, sorry, the crucifixion of Jesus when he was killed. And then they started making their way back because in their hearts, they were hoping that Jesus would be the one that would start the revolution against the empire of Rome. So when they saw him, 
being killed on the cross, they started walking back really disappointed. And then this guy joined them on their walk as they were walking back to their home in Emmaus, and they started to share with him. It's about an a eight- to nine-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they were walking, they started to feel this joy as they were talking to this third guy like the, that was with them, as they were explaining to him what they'd just gone through. And then he explained to them from the Scriptures. He started teaching them. And they only had the revelation when they sat down and had a meal together. They sat down and had a meal together. And I, I, it kind of reads like it was like a, a first bite. And then they looked up at the guy that was walking with them as they were eating. And they recognized, oh, this isn't just any guy. This is Jesus that was with us. And then what happened is, the way you read it, it's like, poof, and Jesus disappears. And it's like, oh, wow. And there's such a, uh, a burning in their hearts. They, you know, the scriptures say, wasn't it like fire in our hearts when we were with him? And so, of course, they're fired up and they go and tell everybody, hey, we saw the resurrected Jesus. And, of course, the response of every single Jewish person is like, wow, that's amazing. We receive him too. Of course it wasn't. Skeptical. So just in case, okay, you're thinking, oh, well, Pastor Nelly, it's different. You know, those times back then, they're different to being an urban Australian now. Like, there's a different skepticism. No, they were, they were skeptical back then, skeptical now. Did it stop them from carrying the message to the people? No. When you understand the power of the gospel, you don't stop sharing. Because his resurrection power transforms your life. Can I get an amen from somebody who's had their lives transformed by the resurrection today, right? C.S. Lewis, the great author and Christian theologian philosopher of early of the last century, he describes this three-pronged argument regarding the resurrection. When Jesus claims to be God, right, it looks like this, you have two alternates in terms of what you can believe. You either believe that his claim was false or that his claim was true. Now, if you believe that his claim was false, then you have a choice of believing that he knew that his claim was false and he made a deliberate misrepresentation and therefore he's a liar, he's a demon, he's a hypocrite, he's a fool. Or he did not know that his claim was false and he was sincerely deluded and therefore he's a lunatic. But if his claim was true, then we are the ones that carry the choice. We either accept him as Lord or we reject him and we are lost. Now, this is the way C.S. Lewis explains it. Here's the thing. When you consider how 2 Corinthians describes that there were many witnesses around Jesus who have seen him and literally would die as martyrs themselves, every single one of the disciples would die a cruel death because of what they believed. You don't do that for a lunatic or a liar. You do that because somebody truly was resurrected. And I need you to understand this, right? Over 2 billion people right now claim to be followers of this Jesus who was resurrected. So either we believe in a liar or a lunatic and we're wasting our time, or there is something to be said about the power of this Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. Because how many of you know, if, if he was truly a liar or a lunatic, this, this lie would have phased out a long time ago. But there's something about the power of the presence of God, the resurrection transformation that changes and transforms you. So that no matter what you go through, no matter how you are rejected when you tell the story of your testimony and how God has completely changed you, you, you don't care about what their response is because he's been far too good to you. And there's nothing that can, that can dispute a transformed life. We can argue on an uh, apologetical um, uh, plateau, or we can begin to see things from an eternal perspective and understand, you know what, this life doesn't belong to me. So why is it that we care so much about our reputation, our career, our finances, when we truly have a resurrection perspective, we understand that this is central to our faith. Paul, the same author, writes to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. 
and your faith is in vain. We're, we're sitting here literally believing a lie. Well, some of us may be just sitting here waiting for family feed. I don't, I don't mind. But I'm here to tell you, like, the power of this message in our own lives and the power of your testimony, your story of how God took you from where you are to where you, uh, where you were to where you are now is so transformative, especially for people who knew what you were like back then. Mm, mm -mm. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it, was, if it is true that the dead are, then the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But when I look around this room, knowing about some of your stories and your journeys and how God has truly transformed you, taking out, you out of your darkness into marvelous light. I know in this room there are stories of addictions that have been broken. I know stories of lifestyles that have been completely changed and transformed. Share the gospel. Share the message of your story, how it collided with his story and changed history. Let's carry on here. Turn to somebody, encourage them. We're not wasting our time. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Mark 16, back to the scripture. Afterward, he had appeared to the eleven as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. I love Jesus. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So here is Mary Magdalene sharing their, her story. People didn't believe. Here are these two witnesses on the road to Emmaus. And they, they were transformed by their encounter with Jesus and, uh, and as he was resurrected. And they, and they shared and people still didn't believe. But here are the disciples just holed up in, the, you know, just in their holy huddle. They did not share. And yet they were the ones that spent three years with with Jesus they spent so much time with him and they were hold up they were, we're not going to tell anybody we're afraid of what people might think we may be killed we may be martyred and so they stayed in their holy huddle uh, maybe God will do something you know but we'll just stay here how many of you know that sounds a lot like people who just come to church but uh, you know like if I share about this actual resurrection faith then that's gonna cost me something that's gonna mean that people might hate me uh, you know like and so we'll just we'll just keep our our, our faith personal We'll keep it so personal that sometimes we may even forget that we have faith. You know, maybe, you know, because Easter is coming up, maybe what I'll do is I'll buy some hot cross buns. And I'll take them to my office and I'll put one on the desk of my friend. And then maybe the cross will jump off the hot cross bun into their hearts and maybe they'll be transformed. And that's my witness. But sh I don't want them to know I'm a Christian. You know, I just don't want them to know. Let me say this, too, as, as a caveat. I'd rather we share our faith and make mistakes along the way than not sharing our faith at all. Now, don't get me wrong. There are so many bad examples of people who have done things in the name of Jesus, even in our current history, that if we don't have the true message of the gospel then what do they have to compare it to? And you wonder why certain spheres within the community are so anti the gospel, anti the church, because the real ones won't be real. The ones who have had the transformational experience of the gospel invading their hearts won't share their faith because they're too concerned. I might get my reputation damaged. Well, guess what? If you're following Jesus, your reputation is crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives. But Christ that lives in me. Well, I don't know what to say. That's why you walk in the Spirit and let the Holy Spirit just open your mouth and let him fill your mouth with words. Read, the, read Jeremiah 1 where Jesus, Jeremiah says, I don't know what to say. I'm really young. He said, open your mouth, fiery sword. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, trust God that God will give you the right words to say. Because if you live in that valley long enough, guess what? You say that Jesus is on the throne of your life, but it's like you're trying to edge. You know, you're on the throne, but can I just get you know just sit on the sit on the armrest a little bit? No, trust him. 
trust him. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Notice he didn't say, go to your own ethnicity, your own people group. He said, go to your whole world. Let me tell you something. You have been put in that job that you have to represent Christ. God gave you that job. Whether you know it or not, God gave you that job. And God has put you in the world of those people that you get to walk with, whether it's customers. But personally, you don't know that they're so irritating. So were the Roman soldiers and the Pharisees that put Jesus on the cross. (laughs) And this is part of us taking up our cross and following him. But being aware of the world that God has called you to if you're a follower of Jesus. This message is worth, it's, it's worth opening up your mouth opening up your wallet, and sharing your resources so that people will come to know the love of Jesus. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So let's break down what this looks like. Now, some of this is wild, okay? So I'll have to break it down and give you examples of which Mark, the author, is trying to point to other portions of Scripture. But check this out. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, okay? Let me just warn you, there's so many cults that subjugate that specific uh, verse, and they'll tell you that you have to be baptized to be saved. That is not true, okay? Baptism is an outward expression, a public declaration of your faith, but it's your faith being saved by grace through faith that, that, that is the gift of God. Like, salvation comes because of what he has done. It is finished, not because of what we do in water. Okay, but baptism is important as a public declaration of your faith. Just be weary. There are there are cults out there that will tell you, oh, you need to be baptized in our church in order to be saved. There's campuses uh, like like cults on campus. Be careful when you listen to that. If they want to argue with you, tell them, okay, Jesus promised the 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 guy on the cross next to him paradise. They did not get off the cross, find a puddle somewhere, baptize him, and stick him back on the cross. He was not baptized. Are you calling Jesus a liar? Okay, there's many places to refute that. And again, this is a good lesson in what we call exegesis, that you take the scripture and read it in its entire context. What he's trying to say here is these are steps. After you have proclaimed the gospel, look to make that public declaration of their faith through baptism. And if any of you want to take that step to be baptized, we have baptisms coming up um, in, on April the 2nd, and we'd love to see how we can walk with you through that. So you can talk to um, our guest services table if that's you and you'd love to uh, explore being baptized, making a public declaration of your faith. Let's move on. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Okay, so there is an empowerment and all of these signs point towards, remember the catalyst is the gospel. So they point towards the message of the gospel. So when you walk into an environment, you will notice that things aren't aligned with the kingdom of God. And so you do what you can to bring that alignment to the kingdom of God, whether it's healing people and they speak in new tongues. We, we uh, have the opportunity, if you, if you look at other portions of scripture, when you look at Acts, throughout Acts, there are four out of the five times where there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, you see uh, 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 proclaiming in, in new tongues. And again, this stuff is not necessary for salvation, but these are gifts that God gives you in order to be edified and built up. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about the power of tongues is to edify yourself. But then it goes on here. Okay, this is where it gets the wildest. And I always find it interesting that um, this is where Mark 16 ends. I'm like, wow, what a way to end. They will pick up serpents with their hands. Okay, so we're going to be crocodile hunter, right? Um, and if they uh, drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they'll see them recover or they will recover. Okay, can you see how this can be dangerous if we just take that verse out and go, woohoo, let's drink poison? Or let's go down to Australia Zoo, grab some pythons because the Bible says we should do it. Again, this is the danger of if, and this is why as a church, we always read these scriptures in context. This is what you call exposition, okay? 
When a person preaches the word and teaches you the word, let me just encourage you, they should read it within its context. This is so important for you. And I hold this so dear to my heart. Be careful not to just make your points when you are trying to figure out how to live your Christianity out, to make your idea the central theme and then just tag verses on it out of context because this is the danger. And we actually have cults out there in the world that say, woohoo, Jesus said in, in, Matthew, uh, in Mark 16 that I can hold serpents. So let's go down and find some snakes. How many of you know that's just stupid? Because what, it, what he's proclaiming here is that there is a power that is alive in you that when you do come a, across some cases where you have to handle snakes, and I thank God for the scripture living in Australia because we've got some crazy snakes up in here. In New Zealand, no snakes. That's why I love being a Kiwi. Coming over here, I'm like, okay, I need this promise. Because if they're, oh, I've had snakes swimming in my pool, man. And I was going to be a man, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll handle it. Called the snake expert. <laughs> like, I, no way I'm going to handle a snake. But the Bible says here, you know, like, if anything of harm happens to you as you are proclaiming the gospel, this is, this is the point. As you proclaim the gospel, any harm that will happen to you, look, God promises us his presence. He's going to take care of it. This is the main crux of the theme that he's saying here. He's not saying go drink poison. He's saying that there are going to be people that hate you that will try to poison you. Maybe they won't literally poison you, but they'll poison you with gossip. They'll poison you with betrayal. And you have to be ready to overcome that. That's the main point of this is that there is a resurrection power that's alive in you and that God promises you his protection. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's the point of the scripture here. And we see this specifically exemplified in Paul in the book of Acts where he went to the island and he was shipwrecked and he actually got, had an encounter with a snake and the snake actually bit him so he's poisoned and a snake and he was healed. And that healing was a witness to those who were observing him. They were all like looking at him like, oh, he's going to die. And he didn't die. And they were like, wow. And they believed. And that's the whole point. Sometimes when you are sharing your story, your story may not be able to com uh, compete with the million, uh, multi-million, if not billion pres dollar presentation that Marvel Studios can present, Right? Or maybe it can't compete with the stories that you hear in your, so, hear in your social media feed. Don't even try, don't try to accentuate the story of your story. Just share the gospel and let God be God. So as, as he's encouraging them here, what he's trying to say is you will be persecuted. You will be challenged. You will go through all sorts of trials. Some of those trials will be physical. Some of those trials will be just people's words about you. Some of these things are going to be are going to come against you because the enemy only threatens those who are a threat to his kingdom. Let me say that again. The enemy only threatens those who are a threat to his kingdom. I'm just going to mention this and then I'll tell a story from my life and then we'll wind this up. I had the opportunity this week just to encourage one of my friends who's um, a pastor at uh, City Point Church, uh, a great Christian church in our, our city. Those of you who don't know, they've had to deal with some, some media uh, misrepresentation, which has been a complete, a complete mis misinformative presentation of their witness. Basically, what was said was because they have the opportunity to go in with volunteers and and help serve the schools with what they call um, religious instruction, right, RI. And so they go in there and serve the young people of our state. They get to carry the message. Now, anyway, there was a clip that went viral, and, and um, certain media outlets started to. And the, the, the clip basically featured them talking about that we want to see a harvest of young people come to know Jesus. And that's not bad language in here, but when the media got a hold of it, oh, they're harvesting our children. And they put that in the news. So that, that's the sort of thing that was happening this week. And I was encouraging my pastor friend at City Point, just saying, hey, man, I'm praying for you. Because the message that you're carrying is always going to be resisting, resisted because it's the message, the powerful message of which the enemy loses his grip. 
Like, we may disagree theologically across the board, even culturally in, in terms of how we do things with different expressions in the body of Christ, but they're still our brothers and sisters. And it was interesting because, you know, the week before that, a bunch of our worship team, we went out there and joined worship teams from throughout Brisbane, unified in the body of Christ just to worship God at, at City Point. City Point opened up their facility, and then they invited just worship teams from wherever. It wasn't a City Point thing. They just held the venue there. But to see the unity of the body of Christ come together and worship Jesus with no other agenda but to lift them up, not to exalt any specific organization. You know the enemy's mad because God's promise in Psalm 133 that where there is unity, the Lord commands a blessing. And this is the blessing that the churches are starting to walk through. I'm here to tell you today that if you lift up the resurrection message, you will experience resistance. But what? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's why you need to be connected in the body of Christ. You can't do this alone. The enemy is that strong. And we need to stay strong together. We need to pray for one another. That's why come to shift. Come and connect with us so that we can pray together. The enemy is real. He's not, he, he doesn't care. Look, if you say I'm a Christian, but I'm going to stay silent about my faith, he, he won't bother with you. He's like, oh, well, do your own work then. That's fine. Keep, be quiet. Even worse is when you say you're a Christian, you gossip. He's like, oh, I didn't even need to interrupt that. They're doing my work. But it's when we begin to say, and I just want to say this on behalf of my, my kids' church volunteers, on behalf of Sammy, who runs our campus ministry, and Dan and Kath, on behalf of my youth volunteers here, that the next generation matters. This is important, because if we don't stand up and share this message, you better believe that the, 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 the next generation is, not, is watching our lack of example. There's a reason why Jesus said, don't let the little children stop from coming to me. And he, and he held them in his hands, and he blessed them. They're looking at our example. I'm close with this story. This is a picture of my dad, myself trying to be my dad, but looking like I stole something. <laughs> and then that's my little sister, um, who's not little anymore, my sister Rowena. Many of you know her. She and my brother-in-law, Taulu, pastor our church in South Auckland, our Every Nation church there. And she's, she's the shy one. She's like, get me out of here. I don't want to take this picture. I, I, I grew up in, uh, in Mount Wellington in Auckland. And um, around the age of 11, I developed epilepsy. I know many of you don't know this about me. Um, basically, what would happen is it was a very mild form of epilepsy. What would happen is that if I had very long nights without sleep, uh, I would have epileptic fits, especially triggered by things like strobe lights and that sort of stuff. And I would only have these fits like once every year or 18 months, but I had this from the age of 11 all the way up until my mid-20s. It was a hassle, so I had to scan my brain and that sort of stuff. And Long story short, many of you know my dad was a pastor. He's, he's since gone to be with Jesus, and but 2009 he passed away. But around 1997, 1998, um, when I would go out, because I used to go out clubbing a lot, and uh, I wasn't walking as a Christian back then. I was a pastor's son on Sunday morning, but <laughs> the devil's son on Saturday night. And I'd go out, and what would happen was, it would always be triggered, right? Like have, staying out really late at night and then early in the morning um, because of the strobe lights in the club or whatever. I'd, I'd, early in the morning, I'd, I'd find myself either in a clinic or a hospital somewhere because I'd had a fit and then woke up and someone had brought me there by the grace of God, by the way. There's a couple of times it happened out on the street where I was walking. But there was one time when I actually did a, a mini trip overseas and I was visiting um, some family in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And so when I was in Los Angeles, I, I uh, went to uh, um, stay with my cousins. And um, they had a Nintendo 64. Remember those? And, yeah, the one you blow on the cartridge <laughs> if it doesn't go. And so 
Like I'm sitting there and I was really trying to, I was play, trying to play Mario Kart and I did it all night because I wanted to win the game. And, and so anyway, the next day I, uh, I did an all night play and then I went the next day, flew to San Francisco and the cousins I met in San Francisco, I knew my uncle, but I never met my cousin. So this is their first introduction to me. And so that day when I land, they take me out to, for those of you who know, Pier 37 out on the harbor there in San Francisco. And I remember my cousin took me to this game, you know, the arcade, started playing the game. And I remember the game was uh, Street Fighter and Marvel, Capcom, superheroes, right? And for those of you who remember that. And so I like playing with Guile, and he was playing with Ken, for those of you who really want to dig into the game. So he was playing, and he did the super move, and the screen started flashing. And right there on Pier 37, which is like a tourist trap, right, uh, I, I had an epileptic fit, woke up in hospital. And this is my cousin. I'm meeting him for the first time. He's like, what the heck? <laughs> I wake up in hospital. Um, I do the rest of my, my trip. Praise God, I had travel insurance. They, they took care of me. But, like, I got back home. And my dad, you know, coming from... I know my islanders here know, know what's up, and, and some of you from Asian collectivist cultures will understand, like, there's a certain shame when you send your son, and then he goes and does that, and then he comes back to your house. Certain shame, especially when you're a, a pastor. My dad didn't care about that shame, but he cared about me. And my dad was a pastor of a congregational church. He's not Pentecostal. He doesn't necessarily believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but that day he did. I landed... He was half angry at me, <laughs> but also half angry at the devil. I think he was more angry at the devil. He sat me down in my living room. I was around 25 years old, so I wasn't super young. He sat me down in, in, in my living room and get, grabbed my mom, grabbed my sister. He said, we're not going to take this anymore, devil. And he put his hands on my shoulder. And he prayed in both Samoan and English just casting the devil out of me and declaring that I am healed in Jesus' name. I haven't had an epileptic fit since that day. I'm completely healed. That's 20 years later. I haven't had an epileptic fit since then. You know why? Because my dad, despite theological whatever, believed in the resurrection power of Jesus and cast that sickness out of me. I didn't believe that epilepsy is necessarily demonic. I think it's a medical condition. Mine was just a medical condition. But my dad believed that my, my resurrected Jesus can heal. And that's what I want to propose to you. That's coming from a cessationist. <laughs> he just said, enough is enough. You're not going to touch the next generation. You're not going to touch my offspring because this is my legacy. And that's the stage we need to get to, church, is that we need to be so fed up with the way that the enemy is trying to torment us and the next generation that we will stand up for righteousness. doesn't mean that we have to stand up in, in hatred towards those that may hold an opposing view to us. I believe we should be civil, yes, but we can't stay silent. We have to carry this message out and love people into the kingdom of God. How will they hear without a preacher, Romans says, and how will they preach unless they are sent? You carry this gospel. Some of us in this room have carried this gospel for a long time, but we've put it in our handbags and never opened them up. Will today be the day of activation? Because if we believe this resurrection message, it's on us to carry it. For those, all my high school students in here, it's on us to carry it into our schools, into our sports teams. For those of us on campus, you are literally reaching the nations in our city. When I look at UQ, there are over 200 nations represented on that campus and Griffith University and, and QUT. The nations are coming here to study. The borders are opening up. It's as if there's an invitation to hear the gospel, but how will they hear unless we stand up? and believe in a resurrected king. God's got you. No matter what snakes or poison you may battle, he has your back. But will you be faithful to open up your mouth and tell people about this message we get to carry? Which I know I've gone a little longer today, but I just really feel the need to, to charge you today 
to carry this message out. The reflection question is on the screen now. Do you believe? And this is also for those of you who are watching online. Do you believe? If not, if you're in this room and you don't yet believe this message of the resurrection, you are carrying a different message then. Do you believe that that message will rescue you and save you, not just in this life, but into the next? Because if you are anchoring your life in a different message, then my urge to you is, do you really believe that message with all your heart will carry you and save you and will bring you the joy that is on offer in Christ? And if you do believe, do other people see or hear your belief? Can they see it in your kindness? Can they see it in your smile? Sometimes a smile is a sacrifice of praise. You may not feel like smiling in your heart, but just believing that the joy of the Lord will be my strength. So I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this point. If you're in this room today and your desire is to say, firstly, for those of you who may not be, may be in this room, I want to offer you this opportunity to respond. If you're in this room today and you, you, you're saying, Pastor Nelly, I, I, I want to believe. I would like to believe. I would like to anchor my life in, the, in this message of a resurrected Jesus. If that's you today, I want to pray for you as well. If I can just ask if you will lift your hands right where you are, where you're seated. Awesome. awesome. Father, I just pray for these ones who have their hands lifted. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and enable them to be anchored in the truth of your resurrection power. We pray, Jesus, we pray that you would come, bring strength to them to be able to trust your grace. For your resurrection power is worth us giving our whole lives for. So Lord, today we just pray. We pray that you would come, take full control of our lives and our hearts. Just pray this with me if you have your hands up. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today recognizing that I've been anchoring my life in other things. But today, I anchor my life in you. Come and be the center of my life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill me so that I can carry your gospel to the nations, starting with Brisbane. Thank you for your forgiveness and that you cleanse me from my sin. I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.